And uh, what I want to do <clears throat> is, uh, again, just briefly review the essential ideas of the last year and continue, especially for those perhaps who are not here, and I'm sure even for those who are here, that kind of review is also very good. If you recall, I said that the Yechida of Odom HaRishim, that is the Nishmas Mashiach. That is what's meant by the Mashiach, that Nishama, which basically is the Yechid of Odom Rishon, that's the Nishmas Mashiach. That is the Mashiachus. Now, that is the soul of the Mashiach. The Nishmas Mashiach, which is the soul of the Mashiach. Now, that splits, as I mentioned, and it splits into half, and each part descends on two different kinds of individuals on a Shama. So the Yechid of Adam Rishon, which is the Mashiachus, splits. One part goes for one individual, the other part goes for another individual. Now, last week I had used the example of land and trees growing out of it. I'll just use a different example just to give you perhaps a little better variety. The question, of course, is who does this Nishama or Yechida, the Nishmas Mashiach, who does it devolve on? Who does it go upon? And the answer, of course, and the best way to look at it is look at the idea of a trunk or a tree that has a trunk and branches. Okay, you'll notice a tree, of course, that has a trunk and has branches also, which emanate from the tree. Therefore, that is the best, the metaphor, that's the best way of understanding the analogy, that the trunk represents a shirish, a root, shirish kloli, a general root. And the branches represent shirish prati, or individual roots that branch out from the shirish kloli. Now, <coughs> One branch is in every generation, and also the trunk. Not in every generation, but it comes down once. For instance, or, or, or rather, what exactly happened? The trunk itself comes down once, and then leaves, and then thereafter a branch comes down from that trunk. You know, an ishama comes down which has embedded in it the shirish kloli, which is the trunk, and then throughout every generation, there are branches that come down, or nisham shroshim protium, or nishamas that have the particular shirish. They come down in every generation. Whether it be a trunk, or that individual who has within him that nishama, that's a shirish kloli, or if it be the individual that has the nishama, which is a shirish prati, each one can receive that yachida from Adam Harishan. Each one of these people. Now, to be more concrete, one trunk is called the Shirish Chloe or the Neshama of the Mashiach ben Yosef, and it gives rise to many different Neshamas, each one being a Shirish of that Shirish Chloe. So they are Shirish Prati, specific roots, because they emanate from the larger root, which is the trunk. And the Mashiach ben Yosef is a trunk itself who actually was Yosef at Sadiq. He was that Sherish Chloe. And the specific trunks, uh, rather the specific Shrashim, these are different individuals born in every generation. There is one that is a Sherish Prati, okay, and whether it be Yosef or whether it be anybody else, as long as they come from that tree, they, they can receive the Yechidah. They are the individuals who are Roy, who are proper to receive the Yechidah of Adam Rishon. This is the idea of Mashiach bin Yosef which I had spoken about last week. 
The same idea as Mashiach Ben David. That's another tree called Mashiach Ben David. Again, it's a trunk and it's branches. The trunk is a Shirish Chloe, the, the stock, the main stem. And the branches are a Shirish Prati. And again, the trunk is, there's an individual who has the Neshama, who has that trunk, and that was Yehuda, that's how it started. And besides Yehuda, there's also branches, and of course that means there are individual Neshamas who have the Shirish Prati. And these also are, of course, part of the union of the Mashiach bin Yosef, because they all come from the same tree. Uh, excuse me, Mashiach bin David, because they all come from, from part of the same tree. Now, the Yechidah can descend on any individual who is either the trunk or the branches of either tree. One half Yechidah settles on some individual who is a Mashiach bin Yosef, means somehow he comes from the Mashiach, he comes from the tree called the Mashiachus of Yosef. The, uh, either the trunk or the branch and one settles down on an individual who comes from the tree of Ben David which means that it can settle down on any one of the branches or individuals who are a branch or the trunk or the individual who is the main stem this is basically what we had, what we had spoken about last week and also that in each generation there's always a shirish of either Ben David and Ben Yosef in every generation now also what we had spoken about last week is that every Nishama, whether it be a Shirish Chloe or a Shirish Prati of any either one, either Ben David or Ben Yosef, is somehow tied up in the Tikkun, means the correction or the job or the task that the Mashiachim have to do. Whether they are the Mashiach or not doesn't make a difference. They are somehow tied up in whatever that trees have to do in terms of the correcting whatever was damaged in the Bria. This is all review. That's why I'm not really bothered to explaining it. I assume everybody understands this. Last week and the weeks before. So therefore, each Neshama, no matter from, if he's from any part of that tree, whether it be the trunk or the branch, okay, whether it be a Shurish Kroli, Shurish Prati, whatever he is, or whatever, they, their job is to masakin whatever the Meshichus of Ben David or Ben Yosef has to masakin. Now, I also mentioned that the Yechidah descends on those two Nishamas, one on Ben David, the other Ben Yosef, of the individuals who are mashlim the Tikkun, those people who finally finish the job because it's, it builds. In that generation that the Tikkun finally is completed of whatever Ben Yosef and Ben David has to do, which I had mentioned to Masakin the Kilkel or Pagam of Odom Rishon as well as the Hassan, the original Hassan. These two individuals get Yechida. That's the individuals who get Yechida because they are Mashlam, the long, difficult task of finally correcting that which has to be done. Okay, this is basically the review essentially of what I covered last week. We can go further now. Now, <clears throat> Besides these ideas, we understand spiritually exactly what Mashiachs are all about, which is a very important idea to understand. We understand exactly what the structure is of the spiritual essences of the Mashiach, the ideas of the Yechida, the ideas that there are two trees, each one doing a different function, the ideas that part of that tree there's a, there's a trunk and a branch, and no matter where you, where, which one your Neshama represents, you're involved in that task or job 
which is tikkun of whatever you have to do. And that the last two shroshim that finally masak in this is the Mashiach because they get the Echidah. This is what we see now. Now, it's important also to know that when finally the Echidah descends on these individuals, then the Neshama of Yosef HaTzadik joins that Sheresh. In other words, the branch, when he finally gets, he finishes the Tikkun, right? He finishes the job, whatever that is. And if the Echidah descends, what happens is, is that the Neshama of Yosef, who is the trunk, merges with the branch. Okay? So it notes the tree merges with its branch, and that individual is the Mashiach. In other words, when that Sherish finally is going to get the Echidah, then he merges, because he's only a Sherish Prati, he's a branch, he merges with the original trunk. They mechaber, they become mechaber, they join or unite. Now, the same thing with David. When the individual who's going to be the Mashiach with David, then his Sherish unites with the trunk or Dover HaMelech. That's exactly the Neshama of Dover HaMelech. That's who he unites with. So the individual who's a Mashiach, you're really looking at a Neshama who has part of him, the, the Neshama of Yosef HaTzadik in the case of the Mashiach bin Yosef. And when you look at the Mashiach bin David, if everybody's Zoychatu, then you're looking at an individual who has part of him, the Neshama of Dover HaMelech, is wrapped up in his Neshama because they come together. Now, what's the point? Or why does this happen? Because <clears throat> it's the full merger of the tree of the branch with its trunk that gives the power to the individual branch to do its job. In other words, it's the neshama of Yosef and the neshama of David, in case of Mashiach bin Yosef and in the case of Mashiach bin David, that gives the power, the strength to do the Mashiachus, not the avoid of the Mashiachus, but the Mashiachus itself, which is the Mani Yisrael, the Messiahship. So therefore, the Mashiach ben Yosef derives his strength, finally, from the unification of he and the Nisham of Yosef, and the Mashiach ben David derives his strength from the unification of his Nisham with Dover HaMelech, really Dover HaMelech, and really Yosef HaTzadik. And then both of them actually can do their job, which I had outlined quite a while ago in the previous uh, shiurim, the different tasks of the Mashiach ben David and the different tasks of the Mashiach ben Yosef when they become the Mashiach, which is different than be, when they, before they become the Mashiach. Now, also it's important, uh, important to understand that even if the Shurish, or rather I say, even if the individual who's going to be the Mashiach has not been designated the Mashiach yet, means he doesn't have the Yechidah. But the fact that he's almost ready to receive the Yechidah means as the work gets more and more completed, when it's almost down to its end, then what happens is Yosef, the Neshom of Yosef HaTzadik, joins the Mashiach in a light fashion, slightly. It's almost like there's a hovering of Yosef next to the Shirish of the Mashiach ben Yosef, who will get the Yechidah. That has tremendous repercussions through history because of this. As a result of that, the Nisham of Yosef HaTzadik comes close to the Shirish of the Mashiach ben Yosef before or just about before he's about to receive the Yechidah and become the Mashiach. 
that has tremendous implications in, in through history, as we shall see when I go back into Tanakh and history. Because right now, all I'm doing for this year and the last year is giving you a theoretical framework to understand the spiritual entities called the Mishichos and what happens. And it's very important to understand, because then you understand history much better in terms of its Pneumius. The same thing is with Mashiach ben David. Pneumius, uh, in, in its internal design, intrinsic ideas of what's going in, on. Now, the same thing happens in the Mashiach ben David. Before the Mashiach ben David, or that individual who's a sheriff of the Mashiach ben David, before he's about to become Nismane, or appointed as a Mashiach, before he's about to have, before he's about to have the Yechida, then David HaMelech also hovers very close to him. And there's a certain joining, but it's not fast. There's a certain connection, but it's not the same, obviously, when they get the Yechida. But again, there's a very close proximity of the Nishamas. David with the Mashiach ben David, right before he's about to become that, and Yosef with the Mashiach ben Yosef, right before he's about, to, uh, right before he's about to become the Mashiach. Therefore, now in order to understand that, we understand that. Therefore, with this explanation, we understand what the Gemara means when the Gemara alludes to Dovra Amelech as being a Nasi, a prince, and not just a Melech. There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin which talks about, it says over there that Asra Kodesh Bohu Lahamid Dovid Acher. The Rabbani Shalom in the future is going to establish another Dovid, the Gemara says there. And what that means is that Dovid HaMelech of course, will be connected with another individual who has the shirish of David, because David is the trunk, right? And he will give him the power to do his position. That's what it means. Therefore, of course, that individual, so he therefore is called David in that sense. So therefore, David, when he was a melech, was called a melech. But David a melech, after he dies, the position of him is to give power to the Mashiach ben David, so therefore he's called a Nasi. That's why he's called a prince, not a Melech, because he gives the power of the Mashiach ben David to be Manik, to rule, to do his job. So therefore, that's what Chazal means, that Osra Kodesh Boch, Muhammad David Acher, means that the Rebbe will make a rise of Mashiach ben David, who will have Dovar Melech as his source of power, therefore Dovar Melech is then called a Nasi. That's why it says in Yecheskel that Dovid Avdi Nasi Lohem Li'olam. And Dovid, my servant, will be a prince to them forever. Well, he's not a prince, he's a Melech. What, what does Yecheskel mean? Because after he died, he's going to be a prince, not a Melech. Because he is in the position of giving power to the Mishikh and Dovid. In that sense, he's a prince. The Gemara in Sanhedrin calls him a Palge Kesar, a viceroy. Dovra Melech is a viceroy to the king because his position again is to give power to the Mashiach ben David to do his position. Therefore, Dovra Melech is called a Nasi in Yecheskel. And Gemara in Sanhedrin calls him a Palge Kesar, a viceroy. And it's the same thing with the Mashiach ben Yosef, the same idea that Yosef is going to again give the power to the Mashiach ben Yosef to do his position. So he's also called 
a Nasi, and he's also called a Palgoy Kesar, half a Kesar, that's what it means, which means a Viceroy. In other words, if one wants to understand it, what it simply means is that they will be the fathers of the two kings. The two kings will be the Mashiach bin David and the Mashiach bin Yosef, and they will therefore be Mani, Klai Yisrael, they will lead Klai Yisrael, each one doing a different area. The Mashiach bin Yosef primarily concerned with the Orishan, means to Megala Torah, the Pneus of Torah, and the Mashiach bin David primarily concerned with making sure Klai Yisrael adheres to this Torah, that they're learning two different kind of tasks. So therefore they are both Malachim. So therefore David and Yosef, both of them, the Neshamas, are an of the Melech. They are fathers to the king. That's why they're called Nasim. That's why they're called uh, princes or viceroys, and they're not called kings, of course, in the Moshe Mashiach. And we understand this, you know, just as a, an illusion, because it says in Oz Yoshia, which you daven every day, it says, V'olum Moshiach Bihar, V'olum Moshiach, is high and there will arise saviors to judge the Mount of Esav, and the kingdom will be to the Rebbein Who? Why is it saying Moshiach? It says, V'olum Moshiach, Who's going to judge the mountain of Esav? Means who's going to reckon with Christianity or Edom or whatever, Western civilization? It'll be Moshiach. Who is the Moshiach? Sheikh bin David and Sheikh bin Yosef. That's why there's a plural. You'll always find there's a plural. When it says, it says, uh, and the uh, uh, and, and, and the and the young one will be for a great one and the uh, and I don't recall the exact Russian apostle but in any case again you see always the two positions because it's always referring to two Meshichan the Meshich bin David and the Mashiach bin Yosef. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the, the Posik is Vahakotan Yele Elef Vahatso Yele Godel. That's the Posik. And the cotton, the, the minor, the child, Yele Elef, will be for a multitude. Vihatso uh, um, and the young one, Yele Godel, will be for a great, a great nation. And again, it's referring to the Mashiach bin Yosef, Mashiach bin David, because when they start out, they start out small. And then, of course, they proliferate, their powers proliferate, until they finally develop into the idea of Mashiach. Now, to go weiter, so this is the idea, so far, of the Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David, being mischabeh with the Neshama of Yosef and the Neshama of David. And David and Yosef, of course, feed power to the Mashiachim themselves. Therefore, they are called Nasim rather than Malachim. Okay, and the Malachim, of course, are designated as the Mashiachim themselves. It's important to understand. Now, many times you'll find that the Mashiach ben Yosef is called Ephraim. In fact, you'll find it, it says in, in, in Tanakh, it says, Haben Yakeli Ephraim, right? And the, the, one, the one who is precious to me is Ephraim, and that's referring to the Mashiach ben Yosef. You find that many times all over Nach, when it always says Ephraim, many, many times, it says Ephraim again and again. That Ephraim is the Mashiach bin Yosef. That's who Ephraim is. Many times in Medrash, you'll see it says Ephraim Mashiach Tzidki, my righteous Messiah, who is Ephraim. So we see that Mashiach bin Yosef is also called Ephraim. 
Mashiach ben Ephraim. But David, Mashiach ben David, is always called David. Mashiach ben David is not called by any other name except David. Whereas Mashiach ben Yosef is called by the name Ephraim also. So the question, of course, is why? Why is Mashiach ben David called David? And the Rai is the Gemara, which brings out the uh, Posik, the David Abdi, Nasi, he'll be a Nasi. Lohem li'olam, he'll always be a Nasi, and it's calling him. So David means, li'olam bo'er means that David will, in terms of Mashiach ben David. And the Gemara said, Asr HaKadosh Baruch Lahamid, David Acher. Doesn't say by another name. Whereas by Mashiach ben Yosef, you find him constantly referred to as Ephraim, not as Yosef. Sometimes the, the, the Tanakh especially refers to him as Yosef. But many times in Nach, you'll see if you look at Naftaris after the laning all the time, many times Naftaris refer to Ephraim, Mashiach Titki. So the question, of course, is why is he called Ephraim if he's really from Ben Yosef? So in order, in, order to understand, in order to answer the question, we really have enough information previously. If you recall, I said that there's uh, a trunk and a branch. There's a Sherish Kloli and a Sherish Prati. There are individuals who have the Sherish Kloli, like Yosef, Yehuda, Dovr HaMelech. And there are individuals who have the Shrashim of those uh, uh, general stems. And they're called, of course, the Shrashim or the Sherish Prati. Now, if you recall, I said that Yehuda, because of his Chet, and you recall what the Chet was, that he sold, he gave advice to the other brothers to sell Yosef. Remember? He said, Mabetza, what do we profit? Let us sell him instead. That was a Chet, because the brothers tied it to him later. Had you told us to bring him back to his father, we would listen to you. So it comes out that Yehuda was actually responsible, of course, for Yosef being put into Mitzrayim. So Yehuda deposed Yosef from his Malucha. That's really what it is. So as a result of that, it says, Vayered Yehuda me'es echov. Right after the parash of the Mechira, it says, And Judah descended from his brothers. So Chazal learned that Ovad lehamalchus, Yerida ho'yisuloi, he had a Yerida, he descended in Ruchnius. Ovad lehamalchus, he lost the kingdom, the kingship. And what does that mean? It means that Yehuda had the trunk of the Mashiach bin Dovid. That idea, the main trunk of the Mashiach bin Dovid. He lost that. And, he, and it was given instead to Dovid HaMelech. That's why we don't say Mashiach bin Yehuda. We say Mashiach bin Dovid. Because we always refer to the one who has the main trunk. And in this case, Dovid had it and it was taken away from Yehuda. Now, but Dovid HaMelech, in addition to being the main trunk, before he became that main trunk, he was the small branch. Because Dovra Melech is descended from Yehuda, right? So he first started out being what? A branch. And then the Rabbi gave him the main trunk also at the same time. So therefore Dovra Melech is both. He is the, the, the major trunk or the Asuid, the foundation of the Meshichus of David. And he's also the branch of David. He's got both at the same time. Therefore, any future individual who's a branch, we refer to it by the individual who's, who has that branch, and that's David. You know, since Dovr HaMelech was also a branch, so we refer, refer to him, the Mashiach Ben David, also we refer, as Ben David only. Because, we refer, in other words, any person who has the branch, we call it by the individual who had the most significant part of that branch. That was Dovr HaMelech. Even though David also had the main trunk, 
which was taken away from Yehuda. Yosef, however, had a son Ephraim. So who's the first branch in terms of Yosef? Ephraim, right? Ephraim was never given that major foundation like Yosef. So therefore, when you when you refer to the Mashiach, you, he, the truth is what he is really a branch. And you call him Ephraim, who is really the originator of all the branches. That's why. So the Mashiach ben Yosef is really referred to as Ephraim. Because the Mashiach ben Yosef is really a branch. Even though he gets power from the Neshama of Yosef, but he's still a branch. And therefore you call him Ephraim because the individual who is the first branch is Ephraim. The most significant branch is Ephraim. So he's called Ephraim. Mashiach ben Ephraim. Sometimes he's referred to as Mashiach ben Yosef because, again, Yosef is the trunk which, of course, connects with the branch, which is Ephraim. Now, so that, that's in terms of Mashiach ben Yosef, why he's called Mashiach ben Ephraim, or referred to constantly as Ephraim. Whereas Mashiach ben David, of course, is David himself embodies both the Shirish HaProti and Shirish HaKlori, the most significant Shirish HaProti. Therefore, we refer to the individual Mashiach ben David as Mashiach ben David. Even though that individual is Mashiach ben David is really a Prat, a Shirish Prati. But we call him, according to the individual who had the most significant Shirish Prati, so we call him again after that. It's like somebody being named after his father. So the, every individual who is a, a Shirish, a branch, is named after the individual who is the, either the first or the most important branch. So David had both. So it's Moshiach bin David either because of branch or because of trunk. Whereas Moshiach bin Yosef is only refers to the trunk, but Moshiach bin Yosef, who is the Moshiach, is really a branch. So he's called Ephraim. This is why you have that difference in names. So when you come across Ephraim, Moshiach Tzidki, or constantly Ephraim, you know Ephraim is the Moshiach bin Yosef, and we, they refer to him as Ephraim since he is really a branch. And later on, he'll join with Yosef, but still, he's still a branch, even though he gets Koyach from Yosef. This, so far, this basically ends with the theoretical ideas of the Mishichas. This ends, again, what I would say, the understandings that we must have to proceed further. It's, I know it's been, it's been spiritual, this entire framework of this week and last week, uh, in terms of the Mishamas, the Yechida and the Nishama and the Shrashim, and Mashiach ben David and ben Ephraim and ben Yosef and so on. But it's very important to understand because then one understands, like I said, what happens to civilization on a spiritual level as well as a physical level. Besides the fact that it's good to know because, I mean, most people have no idea at all about this altogether. So this idea is really very unique, whether you realize it or not. Now we'll return back to the uh, original agenda which is to go into history itself and again to begin looking again at the, the, uh, the involvement of history and the themes of Mashiach bin Dov, Mashiach bin Yosef as they occur and how many different ideas become answered as a result of this knowledge. Now if you recall, to go back, because well, probably people have, have, lost, uh, have lost track, remember that Adam did a chet and as a result of that chet there was a pagam or a kilkul, a damage in the Bria. Besides the original deficiency that the universe had, there was a new damage, which Adam Rishon created, of course, by his chet. Now that damage, of course, needs a tikkun, that kilkul or damage, besides the fact that the original chasar needs a tikkun. But certainly the damage that Adam Rishon did, that needs a correction. 
Okay? Now, as a result of that, you had different pers- personalities and histories in history trying to contend with this uh, Pegamo Kyoko. And I had mentioned that you have, of course, Yosef Atzadik went into Mitzrayim, Moshe Rabbeinu was in Golos, the Jews in Egypt, were in, they suffered soon in, in, in Mitzrayim, of course, all for the idea, of course, of trying to be massacred in that Kilko, to try to undo the damage that Adam Rishon had done. Now, in looking at the Jews in Mitzrayim, I just wanted to mention uh, certain important ideas. A person can wonder what did the what was the, what was the task of the Jews in Mitzrayim, not only in terms of what they had to do, the objective, which I had mentioned was to remove that evil which was into the Bria, that what's called Zoyama, the poison of the Nachosh. The idea is that the Jews in Mitzrayim had two tasks, and if they would fulfill these two tasks, then they would remove the Zoyama. What are these two tasks? The first is that they have to suffer at the hands of Egypt, which means that the Sitra Akhra derives a certain amount of strength from the sins of mankind, and he, his representatives, of course, is those people who choose to do evil. So therefore, evil subdues good, and good suffers at the hand of evil until all the power is drained from evil, from, what, from which, which it derived from the sins of individuals, and good then uh, 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 vanquishes. That's where it goes. That the chatoim of the people before all the generations, in the times of Noach and so on, that they contributed heavily to the strength of the Sitra Akhra. Therefore, the people who represent the Sitra Akhra, and in that generation, of course, it was Egypt, will subjugate and, 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 and inflict pain on those people who really represent Toiv. And there will come a point where the power that the Egypt derives from the sins of mankind is over. It's used them up. That's the end of its claim. And then that's a tikkun for the Zoyamah. It's gone. So therefore, the task of the Jew in Egypt, of course, was to suffer under Egypt in order to take away all the power of the Sitra Akhra as it was represented by Egypt. And the second thing, and but what was the Nisoyen, besides the, the Yisurin, the suffering that Jews had in Egypt, what was the Nisoyen? The Nisoyen was that the Jews cannot lose their identity. There were no mitzvahs in Egypt. The Nisoyen of the Jews was that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much suffering they go through, they cannot lose their identity in Egypt. And where do we see that they succeeded in that? Because it says that they did not change their names, their language, and their dress. Now if you'll notice, those three are the identity of a nation. When a nation changes the names, the language, and the dress, which means its culture, it's no more that nation that we know. That's how nations are identified. So that's what Chazal means, that by not changing these three ideas, they did not lose their identity. They were still a Jew within Egypt. Jews within Egypt. Had they not done these things, then there would be no Jews anymore. They would be just Egyptians. So that's what's also meant by the idea that had the Jews, the Jews had descended 49 levels of Tumah, like Egypt. Had they descended into the 50th, they could not have been redeemed. Why? 
Because that would have meant that there are no Jews to take out. They're all Egyptians. The Jews would have lost their identity and would have totally assimilated with Egypt. They would have ad adopted their names, their language, their dress, completely intermingled with Egypt. And of course, and that, and that would have been uh, meant that that would have been, uh, what that would have meant is that they are entering the Nun Shari Tumah, the 50th gate of Tumah. However, they came ad ad means they came up to that level and they did not go into that level, fortunately. So therefore they maintained their identity as Jews. That was the Nisoyen, that no matter how, much, how many years you suffer, don't lose the identity of the Jew. And Yosef understood this. Yosef understood this. Why? Because when, the, when, when Yaakov and the sons came to Egypt, where did Yosef put them? He put them in Eretz Goshen, in a land which was a suburb of Egypt. He separated them from Egypt because he realized that if he puts them in Egypt, what's going to happen? They're going to become assimilated. So therefore Yosef separated them that they should maintain their identity no matter what is soon they go through. However, what does the Torah say? The entire land was filled with them, which means that the Jews were not staying in Goshen. They were beginning to go infiltrate all over Egypt. That's what it means, that the entire land was full with them. Which means that they didn't stay in Goshen. They were now going into the major cities of Egypt, and so on. So therefore, this is the beginning of the entrance, of course, into the Shari Tumah. And they went all the way down till the end, Memtes, but they didn't go into the Nun, they maintained their identity, therefore they were worthy to be redeemed, because they are Jews, they are a nation within a nation, Goy of Goy. They still could be called a different Goy of Goy. Had not, then they would be called, there's no Goy of Goy, it's only one Goy, it's only one nation. So therefore, this is the idea of the, um, the idea of the task of the Jews in Egypt, not to become assimilated, to maintain their identity. And that's what Chazal mean by the fact that they didn't change these three things. So therefore, they were able to maintain that, and therefore the Jews could be redeemed. And just as a side note, it says, The land was filled with them, right? And what does it say right after that? Right? The Torah and a new king arose that did not know Joseph. That's when the Sheba began, right? But that is put in right after Vatimoleha Oratay Sum. So with the Torah's Megala, a very important principle, that the Jews think that if they're separate from the Goyim, then the Goyim will hate them. Whereas if they mingle with the Goyim, then on the contrary, brotherly love, friendship, you know, this all this absurdity, of of uh, of uh, especially what a lot of uh, different organizations try to do, try to in interfaith kind of stuff. Then on the contrary, the way to avoid anti-Semitism is to merge with goyim, right? But if you stay away from them, it's no good. What does the Torah say? Vatimolei aratzay some, and they merge with the goyim, and what happened? Vayokemelachadish. Anti-Semitism begins when the Jew wants to fraternize with the goy, not when he stays apart. The Torah is Megala that in this juxtaposition, in the smichus of Vatimolea Oratzaisom with Vayokim Melachadish. That's an aside since I brought down that posse. But the main idea is Vatimolea Oratzaisom is what 
Torah is Megala that the Yidna are now beginning to go into the Shari Tumah. They begin to lose their identity very quickly. And of course, fortunately, they didn't, and therefore they were redeemed. Now, since we, now that we understand this, what becomes obvious also is why did the Rebbeinu tell Avram Ovinu that your people will be slaves or under the Sheba in a nation that they don't know? Why did he tell him so many hundreds of years before at the Bris Ben Absarim? Why did he tell him that? And the answer is obvious. Because at that point, Avram Avinu entered into an agreement with the Rebbein Shlom, right? What was the agreement? That the Rebbein Shlom would give Avram Olam Habo if Avram would do his will, the Rebbein Shlom's will, the mitzvahs, right? This is what the agreement was. But part of the agreement is what? What is intrinsically bound up with that agreement? To remove the zoyam of the nochesh, because that's exactly what the task is to bring the, the creation back to its original estate. That is part of the agreement, it's intrinsically involved. So therefore, when you sit down and make somebody a contract, what do you do? You state all the conditions or all the articles of the contract. One of the articles was that Jews, the, or Avram's descendants, must be in Egypt for a certain amount of time in order to remove that Zoyamah. Therefore, it was stated at the original time of the agreement. Because that is the agreement with Avram. That since you now take the agreement, which means to do the mitzvahs now, and the Roshim says he will give him a ball, the mitzvahs involve removing the Zoyamah, and that, of course, is Egypt. So therefore, at the, it was very appropriate. It was the proper time to tell Avram, at the Brisbane Absurd, at the time he made a covenant with Avram, that the agreement means that your descendants have to suffer in Egypt for a certain amount of time, to have the Asurim and to maintain their identity, and that will remove the Zoyamah. Now we understand that. In other words, once we understand... The idea of Mitzrayim as removing the Zoyamah, we understand why it was presented to Avram, because that's part of the agreement. Therefore, parts of the agreement have to be presented at the time you make an agreement, and not later. Now, to go further. So therefore, this is just to sort of like to summarize and just to add certain information that wasn't stated previously. So we are now at the point where the Jews have left Egypt, of course, and, mat, and they have been successful. They removed the external influence of evil. In other words, they are now standing in Mount Terror successfully. And I had mentioned, of course, that the eagle restored the Zoyamah. If you recall, that the eagle restored the Zoyamah and it also restored the original Pagam of Yosef to himself. If you recall in terms of what I said, the Esotipus, the Ten Drops that that Pagam was also restored because it had not been removed by the Indian of Mitzrayim. It was all to naught in that sense because evil now again became internalized in man. And I had gone through this previously. Now, now we begin to understand what that really means once we understand what a Sherish is, a Sherish Mashiach bin Yosef, the trunk, Sherish Kloli and so on. We understand much more now what a Pagam to Yosef means. When Yosef was pergim himself, what does that mean? It means that he wasn't pergim the branch. The trunk was nivgam, right? Because Yosef was the trunk, not a branch. So when, because of those esotipus, it means that the trunk itself was nivgam. Well, it, it, it was a defect, a damage. Which means that every individual who is a shirsh the Mashiach ben Yosef would have a pergam. Why? Because every branch... If the tree is defective, then every branch of that tree has a defect. Correct? It's all mirrored in the original branch. 
Therefore, it means that that pagam is not just a pagam in Yosef, it's a pagam in every shurish proti, or every shurish of the Mashiach bin Yosef, all the way down all the generations. And what that would mean as a result of that, that since every branch is nivgam, not just the, the yesuid, but the shroshim are all nivgam, it would mean that the individual who would be the Mashiach also has a pagam in his neshama. Same idea, correct? The same thing. Now we begin understanding the significance of Yosef having that done to his Yesoi, because now you can analyze it differently since you see the spiritual makeup of the Mashiach. So what that would mean, and now we finally begin to understand what the Gemara means that the Mashiach ben Yosef will die at the hands of Goik or Armilus, as they call him. This is why. Because recall that if there's a Pagam in the Mashiachus, what does that mean? It's a true Chilul. Which means that the Sitra Akhra derives strength from that Pagam in the Meshichus itself, in the Yesuid of Yosef itself, right? So that means that the Sitra Akhra passes this Koyach onto who? Onto people who represent evil. And in the end of the time of the Mashiach, it represents Goig or Armilus, as he's called. This individual represents the forces of all evil. And he derives his strength from the Sitra Akhra, who derives his strength from the Pagam in Yosef's Neshama. Therefore, what it would mean now is that that Amilus now can stop the Mashiach ben Yosef from doing what he wants to do and must Yehudoi tremendously. That's why the Gemara says that the Mashiach ben Yosef will die. For that reason, in that sense. Because in that way, Amilus who comes because of the strength of the Chet of Yosef, will be able to put an end to the descendants of Yosef. Although not for a long time. As soon as that happens, then of course, all the power that the Sitra has, from which he got from the Chet of Yosef, is used up. So then along comes Mishiach ben David, of course, and slaughters the armies of Goig, and of course it was Amilus, and he kills the Sitra Akhra. Because that it's only it's only to use up that last Koyach that he's able to kill the Mashiach when he is the Mashiach. And of course Mashiach ben David then corrects completely the Inyan. And then right after that, of course, Mashiach ben Yosef is resurrected in Khirsamesim. That's what should have happened. And I'm showing you the logic of why it should have happened. Because Amilus, who takes his power from the Sitra Akhra, who takes his power from the Chet or the Pagam in the trunk, the Yisuit of the Mashiach ben Yosef, and therefore gives it out to every Sherish, is able to stop the union of Mashiachus, and able to Masti Yehuda, which is always what the Sitra Akhra does. And I had mentioned that the greatest Hesti Yehuda that can be is when a Goy kills a Yid, right? Because it's an insult to the king, the Rebbe Islam. And not only a Yid, when he kills a Tzaddik, that's the greatest Hester of all, because you think God would protect his righteous men. So therefore, it's the greatest proof that the Rebbe doesn't exist, Chas in that sense. The greatest Hester Yehudi of all. So, Shtelzachvov Amilus is successful in killing the Mashiach bin Yosef, the greatest Sadiq of all time. Imagine what kind of Hester Yehudi that would be, but that again is a Tikkun for the Pagam of Yosef. This is what the Gemara in Sukkah means, that in Nach, it was talking about the Hesped of the Mashiach ben Yosef. But, however, things changed. 
as, I, as I'll show you, that, and I had mentioned previously, that what the Rebbe did is he took that pagam in every shirish, and instead of killing the Mashiach ben Yosef, he spread it out through thousands of years, which I had mentioned previously. And therefore the Mashiach ben Yosef won't die at the hands of Armilus, because that kind of Misa has been spread out through thousands of years. That pain, instead of doing it in one shot, has been distributed over many years. So each incident of suffering is not a, uh, is not a, a suffering that could kill. Merely it, could, it, it damages or it's, very, it's severe in that sense. And I'll speak about that later on. But in any case, so therefore, that's what's meant when Yaakov said, Oid Yosef Chai. Yaakov thought Yosef died, right? He thought he died. And all of a sudden he finds out that Yosef did not die. On the contrary, he's Melech. He's Mamashen in the Melech, right? And he said, Oid Yosef Chai, Oid Yosef B'ni Chai. Yosef, my son, still lives. So uh, that's Maramah's this is what the, the Vilna Goyen says, that is Maramah's, that the Mashiach ben Yosef will not die. Oyed Yosef ben Yichai, he's still alive. He's a Rebbe because of the Chesed, the Klai's war, which I'll go into, why it was such a Chesed? Because the destruction, would, the tragedy would not have only been Mashiach ben Yosef dying, but it would have been uh, uh, tremendous repercussions of Klai's war. So therefore, Oyed Yosef Chai means that the Mashiach ben Yosef yet lives, and Yaakov was Maramah's dad, so he said, Yosef, my son, the Shirish, the Yisoyed, the trunk still lives, even with the Pagam, and the Osset Lovoy, he will also live. There won't be any death. Sheikh ben Yosef will not die. So, what we've done is that we've come so far in understanding the spiritual structure of the Mashiach. Now you see, you appreciate what that understanding does in understanding what's happening in history and, and how we understand Chazal, Mashiach ben Yosef dying and not. And that's why it was very important to give you this entire background. And uh, again, next week I will proceed with the Inyanum, which I had left off earlier, and we will go in further Inyanum of the, the, uh, the events of the Mashiach ben Yosef and the Mashiach ben David, and how history literally mirrors exactly what's going on. Now, until now, what have we done? First... What's been described is the idea of Odom Horishin. We've explored the, what we're doing is exploring the idea of Mashiachin. And what first has been developed is the ideas of the Mashiach as they emanate from Odom Horishin. That was the first year. After that, we went into the idea of Yosef and Yehuda. The, the development of the ideas of the Mashiach in Yosef and Yehuda. Then we went in the third year into the ideas of Moshe Rabbeinu and Klai Yisrael in Mitzrayim. Again, as expressions of the idea or the concepts of the two Mashiachim. And the last two Shurim <coughs> was spent in giving you a structure, a Ruchmistiga structure, a spiritual structure of what is meant by the Mashiach, the Shroshim and the Anofim and so on. What really is meant by the ideas of Mashiach in a, on a spiritual, structural level? And of course, once we understand that, then we can of course begin to understand in terms of the Mashiach on earth, what is really happening. Now today, what I want to do is continue to develop the framework. And that is that it's very important for us to understand 
what is the relationship between the ideas of Mashiach and the ideas of history? And also, what is the relationship between these two ideas and the two anhogas of the Rabbani Shalom, which I'll get into, and I had mentioned previously, the idea of anhogas and mishpat, and the idea of anhogas and yichud, which I had mentioned previously, but I'll be explaining these things. In other words, it's very important to continue the idea and to have a framework of exactly what is going on when we say that the Meshichan, the two ideas of the, the two Meshichan, is the underpinnings of the Bria in terms of the historical evolution or the historical sequence of man. What does it really mean? Now, until now, we've been talking about the Meshichan, which is Meshich ben Yosef and Meshich ben David, as they manifest itself through history. And we've, again, we've explored it in three different instances, or actually maybe four. Odom, Kain Vehevel, Yosef in Yehuda, Moshe in Mitzrayim. Now, we see that there are always two different kinds of events that happen in terms of the Mashiach, in terms of what we discussed previously, the different kinds of the, the situations we discussed previously, Adam, Kain Vehevel, Yosef and Yehuda, and Moshe and the Yidin Mitzrayim. And you'll notice that these two events concerning the two Mashiachim are the continuing theme or the continuing understanding of all history, especially of all different things that happened to Jews. In other words, there are two kinds of basic ideas that history is always accommodating itself to. Historical events are always expressing these two ideas as relates to the ideas of the Mashiachim. What are these ideas that continue to go through history constantly? And like I said, history accommodates or shapes itself to give rise to these two ideas or to allow these two ideas to happen. The first is called the Avoid of the Mashiachim, the two Avoidists of the Mashiachim. What is that? Avoid means the tasks. What is the task of the Mashiachim? If you recall, everything started from the Chet of Adam Rishon, that the task of Adam was to reveal the fact of God's unity in the Bria to Megali Yehudah throughout the entire universe. Not to contend with evil in the sense that he's got to fight evil within, but to reject evil, the advances of evil, and to Megali Yehudah throughout the Bria. This was basically the task of Adam Rishon. As a result of this Chet, evil now was internalized in the universe, and it now has a shrita, it has a control over all physical reality. So therefore the task of man became twofold. To reveal God throughout the universe, and the second is to remove the Yetzirah, the Sitra Akhra from the Bria, to actually fight in the same arena as a Sitra Akhra, to battle him and to throw him out. And then once you've thrown him out of the house, then to clean the house up with everything. It's very similar, in fact, let me just elaborate on that, uh, the example of the house. It's like you have a house which is dirty, and then somebody comes in who's a filthy beggar. So you really have two jobs. One is to throw the beggar out because he keeps polluting your house, and then to clean up the house itself until it's all spotless. The same idea with Adam. Adam really should have cleaned the house, which means he should have removed the obstacles to being Masih Yehudah, that's the dirt, the obstacles that keep man from seeing it. 
Instead, what he did was he allowed a beggar to come in who told him that, look, let me help you clean up the house. So he allowed a beggar to come in who's full of lice and fleas and so on. So now he's got two things to contend with. To throw the beggar out, to throw this individual who brings all the lice and so on and disease with him. And then once he's got him out, to again clean the house because he realizes his error. That's a, a simple example. The same idea. Adam should have removed or just cleaned the house, reject evil, and clean the house means the Megali Yichur of the Rebbe Nishlam. And second thing, and that's all he should have done, instead he allowed the evil to enter the house to pollute further the idea that God is one in the universe. So now he's got to throw out the evil or that message that the evil Sitra Akhra gives, and then he's got to proclaim it throughout the entire universe. That's basically always the two tasks. One is called of the Mashiach. One is called Kfiya Sarah Takasakadusha to subjugate the evil underneath holiness, means to throw him out. And the second thing is to be to spread the holiness, to spread the idea of the Yichud of the Rebbeinu throughout all creation. That's the second idea. So. These are the two. These these are the. This is one of the two tasks that we see in history, which is the avoid of the Mashiach. The first avoid is to is to what is to remove evil, to subjugate evil. The second task of the Mashiach is to proclaim the yichud of the Rishon throughout all creation. That's one theme that goes through history. The second theme that goes through history is the attempt by the Rabboni Shlodim, after the first task has been done, to bring the Yemaisa Mashiach. That's the second thing that you find through history. That after people will have, after the, the idea that the first task will be done, that evil will have been removed from the Bria, and also that Kedusha means that the unity of the Rabboni is now proclaimed throughout the Bria, the second thing that can happen now is the Yemesha Mashiach can be ushered in. So therefore we find that these two tasks, subjugating evil and spreading Kedusha, is one task. means it's one theme. And the second thing is to bring the Yemesha Mashiach, bring the, uh, the Messianic Age. We find that these two things are always going on through history, A and B. A with its subcategories of one and two, namely to control or subjugate evil and then to spread the Kedusha or the idea of Yichud, the truth of the nature of the Burnishman throughout the Bria, that's one task. And the second thing is, of course, is the, uh, is the uh, fact that Yemoisa Mashiach is always attempting to be ushered in. Whenever you look at history, you always find these two things going on, as I'll be more explicit later. You find the fact that some person or group of individuals or Israel in general is trying to remove the Sitra Akra, contend with the Sitra Akra, remove them. Then the other, the other part of that task is then to spread the true nature of the Rabbanishlam throughout the Bria, to Megaladeh. And the second task which you find going through history is the attempts by the Rabbanishlam to bring the Immersive Mashiach in. So therefore we see that there are two basic themes or threads that wind itself through history. The two tasks of the Mashiach is one, and the idea of ushering Yemaisa Mashiach is two. Now, we see that so far in the previous Shurim. 
we see the attempts at bringing in Yemaisa Mashiach. The first attempt was Adam Rishon, as was mentioned. The next attempt was Kain Vehevel. And the next attempt after Kain Vehevel was Moshe Rabbeinu and the Jews in Mitzrayim. All three events were of the type that tried to bring the Yemaisa Mashiach in. Of course, each one of these individuals in these events was involved in the tasks of the Mashiach, namely to subjugate evil and to spread the word or spread the nature of the Rebbein Shalom throughout the Bria. That was Adam Mauritian's job. Then Cain and Hevel, there was that duality where Hevel took the Bendovit's part to spread the, the, the uh, idea or to be masik the Yuchud Rebbein throughout the Bria, and Cain's part to remove Oivir Adama, to remove the idea of the Sitra Achra and the Bria, we find that they were involved literally in those two works. Adam, of course, wasn't involved in those two works because when he was created, there was only one job to do. After him began the idea of two. So we find that Cain and Hevel again were involved in those two Avedis. And in addition, they could have ushered in the Yemais Mashiach. Adam, of course, was involved only in the first Avedah, but had he been successful, the Hispashtus of Kedusha throughout the Bria, then he would have ushered in the Yemais Mashiach. And we find the third attempt to bring the Mashiach, of course, was by the Jews Mitzrayim with Moshe Rabbeinu. And they were also involved in those two jobs. One is to subjugate evil, as a result, uh, uh, subjugate evil by being a Mitzrayim, which I'll explain. And the second was, of course, was to be Mispashit Kedusha, which they would have done had they, had they received the Torah the way they should have. That's the whole idea of the 49 days. That was once they've subjugated e- evil by destroying yeah, Egypt, they would have had, and then they had 49 days to receive the Torah. That was the Hispashtus of Kedusha. That was now realizing more and more the nature of the Rebbein until Matan Torah would have been the revelation of that nature. That's the other flip side of the coin. First to contend with Egypt, and second to reveal the nature. And had that, of course, been successfully realized, then Yemoisa Mashiach, which is the second major event theme, would have been ushered in. And as I mentioned, Moshe would have been Mashiach ben Yosef, and the whole Yemoisa Mashiach would have been in, ushered in, there would have been then Mashiach ben David. And of course, that also failed. Now, so we see therefore that the attempts to bring the Mashiachan, the true Mashiachan, we've seen it already done three times, and each one of them, of course, was always involved in the labor of the Mashiachan. We also see the attempts at the two Avedis were also done by the Mashiachan. And that is, we see it was done by, which I'll explain, which, which uh, I have explained. Uh, there's Avram was one attempt, again, of fighting the Sitra Achra and maintaining Kedusha. There was Yitzchak, there was Yaakov and Esav. There was Yaakov after Esav lost or gave up his chalik. Then there was Yosef and Yehuda also. So therefore we see that the avoider that is always taking place in this world, in history, is to contend oneself with the Sitra Akhra, then to reveal the nature of God after the Sitra Akhra has been removed. That's one avoider. And this has been shared by many individuals. Then there's always the attempt to bring the Yemaisa Mashiach after those two tasks have been completed, after the Tikkunim have been done. So we see that there are many individuals who are involved in that duality, and there were three attempts to bring the Yemaisa Mashiach. This is what we've seen until now. Now, 
this is the, in other words, so this is our, our, of course, our understanding until now of the two themes that go through our history. Always attempting to correct the situation, tikkunim, by removing the sitra achra and then being, then uh, spreading the kedusha or the hasog of Yehudah throughout. And the second theme of history is always to try to bring the Meshichan, assuming those tasks have been complete. And we've seen it illustrated until the end of Moshe Rabbeinu. The, of course, I, the Shurim after this will be going into again those two themes and how we see them continuing with Rechavam <coughs> and Yerobim. And then, of course, uh, in terms of Purim and by Ezra Nehemiah, then Hanukkah, then Rebbe Akiva and his Chaverim, and then the idea of the Golos. So literally, we see that all these have been going on for almost 6,000 years, these two themes. Now, let's look into it more deeply. And once we understand this, we understand the connection between history and that which the Rabbani Shalom does in terms of his activities, and also why are these the specific tasks that the Mashiach has to do? What's the real understanding of that? These ideas are very fundamental, and the truth is that if one has a grasp of the rest of the Shir, then you really have the, the, uh, the basic ideas of all Jewish history and world history, and it's really a matter of just applying it. Now, there are two principles that really determine historical events, and I had spoken about the first one in the twelfth Shir that I gave, this was last year. But I'll, I'll bring it down here, because now we can really begin to understand what history is really based on, and how it relates to the different Hanhogas of the Rebbe Islam, and how these relate to the whole idea of these two themes always going through history. The idea of, as I mentioned, ridding oneself of the Ra, being Mespashe Kedusha, and the second idea, of course, of, of ushering in Yemaisa Mashiach. I'm going to try to relate all three ideas. Now, there are basically two principles that determine history. All history, Jewish history, world history, and whatever other history you want to study, revolves itself around two principles. And all history must reflect those principles, and they are incredibly accurate, and different events happen in order to bring to fruition these principles. The first idea is the idea that history must reflect the amount of Hester and Gilu in the Bria. Hester and Gilu in the Bria. Concealment and revelation in the Bria. What does that mean? If you recall that the Jew and before the, the Jewish nation, all men, that was the idea of Odom, and then after Avram, only the Jew had this power. If you recall, the Jew has the awesome power of bringing the revelation of the presence of the Rebbe into the Bria. He can do it. And I had gone through this previously in terms of what Simpson was in previous Shurim. But the Jew has the power of bringing a greater presence of the Rebbe in the Bria. And that means that there's a greater Hizgalos of Yichud. The world somehow recognizes the unity of God far greater. How does the Jew do that? He does it through mitzvahs. Through the mitzvah, the Jew, and I mentioned before the relationship between the mitzvah and the fact that the Rebbe comes in and out of the Bria before. But the idea is that through the mitzvah, the Jew can actually megal the yichud, 
and that's actually what he does with the mitzvah. He testifies to unity. And as a result of his testimony, the Rebbe Shalom asks Midah, you revealed my unity, I will now enter the Bria even more, and you will see my presence more. God works at the hands of man. Man brings God in, or man keeps him out. Jews now. Yeah, Jews now. Now, in other words, mitzvahs, which being a testimony of God's unity, brings the Rebbe Shalom into the Bria. The sins of Jews does the reverse. Every sin that a Jew does declares his own uniqueness, means a Jew's own uniqueness, and not God's uniqueness, because he's doing his own will, not God's will. So in effect, the Jew is saying that there are many different beings besides you, there's also myself. So therefore, the Jew, by doing an Avera, is must Yehudai. In that effect, he keeps God out of the universe. He rejects the Rebbe Shalom from entering the Bria because the Rebbe Shalom is Mita You insist on seeing yourself as an independent being. Therefore, I will hide my true unity and you will be under that illusion that you're somebody also. So always works like a seesaw. Now, in any case, or rather, it's always a, recipro- a, recipro- a reciprocity. Now, therefore, the Hester in the Giloi of Yehudoi as a result of Chatoim and the mitzvahs of Jews is manifest in the Bria through historical events. In other words, history changes in order to reflect the amount of Hester or Giloi present. History must change to reflect the amount of Hester or Giloi present. Therefore, if the Jews sin, so therefore some, somehow things get worse. In other words, Events which obstruct the revelation of God's unity happens in the universe, happens in this world. If the, if the Jews do mitzvahs, then those events which promote the belief of God and the understanding of His true nature as an absolute unity, they are given success. And all of this, of course, is contingent on the actions of a Jew. So therefore, History is the last repercussion of what happens when the Jew does the Avodah. So the chain, it's a chain reaction. The Jew does the Avodah. Either he does the Avodah, mitzvahs, or he does Chatoim, Averis. The next chain reaction after that is God therefore, God therefore conceals himself from the universe. So it looks as if he is out of the universe. Or he brings himself into the universe. He reveals himself more to the Bria. The next chain reaction is how does it manifest itself back into this world? It manifests itself that events either promote, either those events which are trying to promote the belief of God and worship of God and His unity have success, or those events which try to obstruct that knowledge, they try to introduce atheism and so on, or connect the Yichud of Rabbi they have success. That is exactly how the uh, the chain event, the chain reaction works. Now, if Yidin do chatoim, and therefore God absents himself from the Bria, therefore history reflects itself in terms of the obstructing that knowledge of God, how does that manifest itself in concrete terms? Well, you begin to see the rise of atheism, which is exactly, of course, what's happened. People begin to believe in other gods which is Avedizara. Again, this is all connected to the unity of the Rebbe In addition to that, 
many powers are realized. In other words, everybody begins to think that he's somebody because everybody seems to be successful. The Goyim, the nations of the world who basically represent evil, okay, they are tremendously successful. So therefore the illusion of Ribu Kuchis is given more prominence. The illusion that there are many forces and powers, forces, you know, there are many beings that can actually accomplish things and are the true causes, they of course proliferate this illusion. So that's the third thing that happens in the Brio. The fourth thing is that the man begins to involve himself only in his own fulfillment, his need fulfillment. Therefore, he begins to become very narcissistic and very selfish. In other words, when a person begins to believe that he is somebody, then the next thing is, well, if I'm somebody, let me do what I want to do. What do I want to do? I want to fulfill my needs. So the next thing that happens after these three, or, or, or during these three, is that a person begins to involve himself, since he thinks he is omnipotent, he begins to involve himself in his own fulfillment of needs, and you begin to see, of course, narcissism, love of self, and selfishness, which is exactly really what's happening today. And then you begin to see true evil. Actually, Narcissism himself is evil. Anytime man believes in his own greatness, that's evil. But you begin to see evil the way people think of evil also coming up. Where man begins to interfere with other men in order to satisfy their own needs. And that, that means robbery, murder, and so on. All evil acts, the way we understand evil, is nothing more than the fact that another person is somehow interfering in your life robbing you, killing you, maiming you, rape, whatever, in order to fulfill his own needs. And that, of course, is started because man then occupies himself with his own needs. And that is started because man believes that he's omnipotent. And that, I'm working my way backwards, and that is started because the proliferation, proliferation of the concept of Rigwe Kuchus exists, because everybody's given out slokho. And that is started because there's a Hester of the Rebbeinshlam. And that is started because of the Chatoim of the Eden. You see that whole chain reaction? Yeah. That's the way it works. In other words, it comes out that man gets the, the, uh, the lifestyle of history reflects exactly all the way back to that chain reaction through the mitzvahs of the Jews or the Chatoim of the Jews. That's how great is the force or the power of Eden. Now, once we understand that, we now understand the idea of how this principle of history is Anhogas HaMishpat. What is Anhogas HaMishpat? Anhogas HaMishpat means that if you want to know why does God do things, He does things for two reasons only. It can be boiled down to one of two reasons. Either it's Anhogas HaMishpat or Anhogas HaYichot. What is Anhogas HaMishpat? Anhogas HaMishpat means the conduct that is based on the attribute of justice. Anhogas means the conduct or the behavior that is based on the attribute of justice. What does that mean? In other words, that means that what man does, man decides what history is. In other words, Jews. <coughs> Jews do a chet, God removes himself, proliferation of the illusion of forces, man becomes narcissistic, he becomes even more evil. All this is the repercussion of the Jews' actions. So therefore, God is merely bringing the universe to reflect the actions of the Jews. Chatoim. That's Hanagas Mishpat. The Rebbeinu is allowing man to determine the form of history. So therefore, when history is now being moved because of the Rebbeinu in the sense that it reflects man's action, that's Hanagas Mishpat. 
If it was reversed, if Yidin did mitzvahs, then God would busy himself with making sure that the universe reflects good things, things which promote the idea that the absolute unity of the Rebbeinah line. So it comes out that Hanhogasan Mishpot is the actual conduct of the Rebbeinah which means that the Hester Negili of Yichud, as manifested in history, is a direct repercussion of man's actions. In other words, man creates, as a result of man's actions, history reflects those actions in this entire chain reaction. This is Hanhogas Ayichod. In other words, Hanhogas Hamishpat. That's right, which I just explained. Now, justice. Now, therefore, we see that the principle of toiv le and ra le royim is hanogas mishpat. In other words, when God acts as a result in consequence of man's actions and does exactly what the significance of man's actions is, we say God is acting in terms of the conduct of mishpat. What determines God's actions is justice, which means your actions demand another one. So therefore, those people who are toiv, toiv la toivim, those people who are good, get good. God makes sure those people who are good, who do mitzvahs, get good. Those people who are ra, get evil. So it's tev la ra la Good for the people who do good, and bad, evil punishment for those people who do bad. This is what Anhogas HaMishpat is. That is the first principle that history mirrors, or accommodates itself to. The second principle that history accommodates itself to, and now we begin to understand the ideas of Mashiach, is called Hanhogas HaYichod. If you recall, what Hanhogas HaYichod is, it is when God does actions based on <coughs> His absolute unity. What does that mean? If you recall that the Rebbe has given three different ways that the Jews can bring the Rebbe Nishlam back into the Bria. And he did that as a chesed, if you recall. Because if he only had one way, if you failed, it's all over. So he gave you three. That if you failed in one, if you failed in one, you have two other ways. The first way you can bring the Rebbe Nishlam back into the Bria and thereby affect history is mitzvahs. If you don't do mitzvahs, you do chatoim, you still have another way called tshuva. And if you don't do tshuva, there's a third way called yisurin, pain. Therefore, the Rebbe in his chesed provides three different mechanisms by way a, the way a Jew can bring the Rebbe back into the world and automatically history must reflect itself, mirror those changes. Now, so therefore what Anagas HaYichud really is, is what? It's a backup system. In other words, Anagas HaYichud means the actions that God does in order to make sure that the Jews are Zeuchet Ta'ilam Haba in order to make sure that the world again reflects the unity of the Rebbe Shalom. This is Anhogas Yichud. And I mentioned previously why is it called Yichud? Because it shows the absolute supreme authority of God that he even overrules justice. That even though the Jews don't deserve Oilam Haba, they don't deserve that the Rebbe Shalom comes back into the Bria, the Rebbe Shalom is Machadish Anuan Hogah, that he provides a backup system that even though they don't do it on their own, I will do it for them. And that is Murum is really an Ashray. Because it says there in Guman Brokhas in Abdalamid Bays that it says, why isn't there a nun in Ashray? Ashray has every letter of the alphabet. Each Posik is from Aramimimcho, 
and so on. Each letter has a verse which each verse has the one of the oasis of the Aleph base following it. So the Gemara says there's no nun because there's a post that says Noflo the that Kliyosul has fallen Loisosif Kum Besulas Israel. The Virgin Israel will no more rise. So therefore, David Amalek didn't want to put that in to Ashrei because Amos was prophesying that Israel will fall and never arise. However, so what the Gemara says that after the king, David he saw Baruch Hakodesh what Amos would say. And he put what will happen, what the true meaning of Amos' words is. And he put that in the next posse. Instead of Nun, he put in Samach, What does that mean? That the Rebunishlam will pick up all those that fall. And he's referring to Klai Israel. So what Dover Amalek was telling you about what Amos is going to say in the future, is Baruch HaKodesh, that Klai Israel can no more rise doesn't mean that they will never no more rise. That there will be a time when Anhogas and Mishpat, through Anhogas and Mishpat, they don't deserve to rise anymore. That they cannot rise by their own actions. Therefore, that God will lift those people who fell. Anhogas That's what David was Maramas. That the nun from Amos, that no more will Klai Israel rise, that the Virgin of Israel has fallen, no more will it rise. Means through Hanogas and Mishpat, Christ will no more rise because they're not worthy for Ilam Habab. But but since there's another Hanogas called Hanogas Ayichud, where God circumvents or over, overthrows in that sense Hanogas and Mishpat, they will arise. But of course, Christ will only get Ilam Habab only through Mishpat. But it means that, look, if you don't do your job, I'll make you do your job. But the only way you can get on my ball is doing your job. So either you do it on your own initiative or I'm going to make you do your job. That's the Anogas Yichud. So it shows Yichud that the Rebbeinu is over the supreme authority over Mishpat. That even though you don't deserve to your own mind to get Olim the Rebbeinu will make you deserve Olim through Yisurin. That's what the Adobar Melch is Maramas that in Ashrei. Now, therefore we see that's what Anhogas HaYichud is. In the idea of Yisurin. That if mitzvahs and Shura fail, therefore Yisurin is in the new operative mechanism that, that goes. Therefore the conduct that determines, or the principle that determines God's actions, which makes sure the Jews get Elim Habo, is called Anhogas HaYichud. But incredibly enough, Anhogas HaYichud doesn't operate independently of Anhogas HaMishpat. What did we say? That when Klai Yisrael does Chatoim, what happens to the Bria? There's a tremendous pro- proliferation of evil, right? There's more Goyim, there's more, <clears throat> there's more Narcissism, there's more Atheism, more Avedizora, right? There's more evil, robbery and so on, decay of civilization. That's the result of Mishpat, the Jews Chatoim. So what does the Rebbeinu do? He allows that itself to provide the Yisurin for the Jews, which gives them Oilem Habor. So it comes out that the consequences of the Jews' actions itself is the agent for their own Yeshua. That's the Elias of the Rabbani Shalom. And that's where Mishpat and Yichud intertwine. So it comes out that if Zot of Anagasah Mishpat, that never all the Goyim are so powerful, the Goyim themselves through their own power will afflict the Jews and the Jews therefore will get Oilam Abba as a result of Yeshurim. That's the incredible intertwining. Why does the Rebbeinu provide such an illusion? 
that the Mishpat of the Eden itself provides their own Yeshua, that the Goyiz Miyasa the Eden, therefore they fulfill the Asurin, the third mechanism, and they get Elam Abba. Why does the Bershom do that? Besides the fact that it's an incredible unity of two Anhagas, and the Bershom always works through unity, his actions are always unity, but it's also to show you who the Sitra Akhra, the incredible might of God, that the Sitra Akhra is trying to destroy the Eden, so instead he becomes the very agent for their salvation. Shtelzach thought that the Rebbe is such an Eloi that he fooled the Sitra Akhra, which shows that the opposing force to God, which is a Sitra Akhra, that tries to introduce the notion of plurality in the Bria, itself was the very agent to promote unity in the Bria, to make sure that Kai Yisrael gets Oilam Habo. Shelzik for what, what's really going on in the Bria. So therefore we see that in the end, the Sitrach is going to turn around and he's going to say, I don't believe this. Here I thought that the Eden were doing Chatoim. And on the contrary, I'm making sure all the nations are strong to miyasa the Jews, to destroy them. And it comes out that I was the very shliach of the reversion to save the Jews. This is incredible. <laughs> this is what the Sitracha is going to realize. And that, of course, is the greatest testimony of Yehuda of all. That even the force which represents the plurality of God, to promote the plurality of, plurality of God, the multiplicity of God, is the very force that in the end promotes the unity of the Rebbe by being the Rebbe or Klai Yisrael's very agent to bring Klai Yisrael to the Geula. This is the idea of Hanogas Yichud, how it functions itself through Ra, and to promote the greatest Hasagas Yichudiv also. There's also other reasons why it has to go through Ra, so the Sitra Akhra is not aware himself of what he's doing, because if he was, he would probably stop it, and Adraba, he would make sure the Goyim, Goyim are not Miyasa the Edom. So in order to hide it from the Sitra Akhra, the Rebbe uses Sitra Akhra himself to bring Yichud to the world. Now, in other words, Toiv le Toivim is, and Rala Royim is an Hogesan Mishpat, because they get what they deserve, good for good, bad for bad. Toiv le Tzadikim, and Rala Rishoyim, is an Hogesan Yichud. That happens in order to make sure that Klai Yisrael is Zuycha to Ilam Habo. That switch off is the second Anhoga, which is Dovres Maramis, okay, which is one of the most fundamental operations in all history to make sure that the Yidin get Ilam Habo. But it has to go through Yisurim, through the Sitra Akhra himself that brings it. So he is not aware of it, and it's also the greatest testimony of the Jews. Now, once we, uh, uh, the testimony, excuse me, of the, uh, uh, of the uh, Yehudai. Now, once we understand that, then we now understand the second fundamental principle of history, which is Anhogas HaYichod. But we now understand how it actually comes through the greatness of the Goyim, the Hispashtus of the Sitra Akhra, brings Anhogas HaYichod. We understand this now. What does that mean? We now see that the second greatest principle is that everything is a tikkun in order to masakin the chatoim of the Jews and to correct masakin the hester that was the result of that chet. Everything is a tikkun for that idea. Therefore history to correct, to modify, to rectify. Therefore history expresses itself in those tikkunim. 
Therefore, history is now going to have two things. It's going to be the result of the chatoim or the mitzvahs of the Jews. Jews. And if the Jews sin, then history will reflect, of course, the hester of the Jews' sin. And the hester itself of the Jews' sin is going to bring about the Yeshua. So therefore, history will also reflect itself that it must reflect the tikkunim going on. The way history is helping the Jews also. And that is through the Yisurin and so on, which I'm going to elaborate on now. Now, basically, <clears throat> the ones who are involved in the tikkunim, and therefore history reflects itself, and we're now going to see concretely how, the ones who are involved in the tikkunim, the correction of the chatoim and the hester of Jews, right, is the shroshim of the Meshichan, that's Shroshim, the roots of the Meshichan, Ben Yosef and Ben David, right? The actual Meshichan themselves, those people who become the Mashiach, and all Kai Yisrael in general, all three are involved in bringing about the Tikkun, which will undo the Chatoim and the Hester of the Jews. Now, how does it happen? Now we have to go back and understand what I meant, why, why the Meshichan do these two kinds of jobs. You recall? There are two kinds of, two types of themes through history, if you recall, in the Meshichan. Now we begin to see that those two types of themes in the Meshichan is the themes of Tikkunim. Besides the theme of Hanogas and Mishpat, which determines history, there is now two there are now two themes in history which is which goes under the rubric of Anhogasa Yichud, right? Which are the two tikkunim in history as a result of the Meshichan. What are they? What was mentioned is the Kfir Sorah Tachasak Dusha to go into the evil nation, to go into the arena and combat the evil, right? And that itself is further subdivided into two kinds of tasks. One is to suffer under that nation. Because you're in the nation, right? Right? You're combating. Combat consists of two different strategies: to suffer under that nation and to fight to remain at tzaddik in that nation. Two tasks, two ways of combating the sitra achra, which is one of the ways bechlal of the tikkunim of the entire idea of Mashiach, the shroshim, the Mashiach themselves, and Kaiswell. Those are the subjects. Okay. The second way is not to combat the Sitra but is the hispashness of Kedusha throughout the entire Bria. That also is done by the Meshichan, by the Shroshan, and by Klai Yisrael. It's not to combat the Sitra but to proclaim the unity of God throughout the universe. Now, I'll go to the second one first, because that's disappeared, basically. That was done by the Eden when? When was that done historically? When the Jews did not contend with the Goyim. But instead, what they did was proclaim the unity of God. In the days of what? In the, no, 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 wait. In the days of Shlomo HaMelech, there was, there was peace throughout the world. Therefore, the whole tachas of the Jews was what? To mispash the Kedush as much as possible. The Dohamidbo of Moshe Rabbeinu, again you find that. The Jews also, when they were in their own land in the Beis Hamikdash, although it began to slowly deteriorate because they were always subjects of nations, was also to mispash the kedusha. After the Chorban by Sheni, this method is no more. That the Jews' task is no more to mispash the kedusha be'ika. That is now reign for the Yemuzah Mashiach, 
What remained is the second task, which has always been functioning and now remains solely. That is to combat the Sitra Akhra in his own territory. Right? And we said that there are two ways of combating the Sitra Akhra. First way is what? Is Yisurun, to suffer in the Sitra Akhra. The second is to maintain your Tzitkus in the throes of the Sitra Akhra. Then, that's combating. Then you remove the influence of evil. Then the Jews can betake themselves to the next task of Espashtis Kedusha, which will be in Yemaisa Mashiach. But as I mentioned, after the Chubim of the Beis HaMikdush, the first task of the Mashiachin, which is shared by all Klai Yisrael and the Goyalim themselves, becomes prominent. And the second one now goes down. Remember, the both Tikkunim, or especially the combating the Sitra Akhra in the Sitra Akhra, in the nations, is part of Anhogas HaYichod. Therefore, Anhogas HaYichod now has prominence in the first task of the Mashiachim, to combat the Sitra Akhra. When Jews are Mespashit Kedusha, it's much more, of course, than Hogas Mishpat, because that's doing it Ayyadeh Mitzvahs and Tshuva. It's Yisurin that's especially prevalent in Anogas HaYichud, and the first task of the Mashiachim to combat. And I mentioned that in combating evil, there are two, Yisurin and Tzitkis. What does that really mean? What is that? Uh, righteousness, to remain at Sadiq, even though you're in the Sitra Akhra, or the nation of the Sitra Akhra. What's important to understand now is, what does the Sitra Akhra consist of? Two ideas. The Sitra Akhra takes his strength to promote evil, Hesni Yehudoi, through the Chatoim of the Jews, that's how he takes his Kaya. And the second is that there are 70 different ways that the Sitra Akhra can promote evil. Therefore, there are 70 nations that are under the Sitra Akhra, each one promoting evil or Hesni Yehudoi, by its own way. Therefore, the Jews have to go through all Goas, all 70 nations. Why? And they must do two things in those 70 nations. One is they must suffer at the hand, the Yisurin. What that does is when the Jews suffer at the hands of the Goy, it takes away all the claim that the Goy has against the Jew. It depletes the energy of the Goy, which means it depletes the energy of the Sitra Akhra who gives the nations their koyach because they represent them. So therefore, when the Jews suffer at the hands of 70 nations, they take away the power of each nation, which means they take away the power of the Sitra Akhra. And when they maintain their tzitkus, what they do is they take each unique method of each nation to promote evil. Instead, they promote good with it. So they use the method to Magali Yechudah of the Rabbani Shloim. That's the idea of the Jews in Gauls of 70 nations suffering and remaining tzaddikim because the Yisurin takes away the koyach of the Sitra Akhra of each nation. And the second thing is that it takes each nation's uniqueness and instead of promoting evil or hesti Yechudah, it promotes Gil Yechudah. And I'll give you one concrete example, America. One of the uniquenesses of America to promote Hesti Yehuda is technology. That through science, Goyim believe that they are the mighty ones. Yeah. That they are atheistic. So instead, so therefore they use science and technology to foster the idea of minus, apicosis, that science is God, there is no other God. What does the Jew use? He uses technology to learn Torah. 
Adraba. He uses technology, air conditioning, so he can sit and learn, and it's more cool. He uses technology, Adraba, to see Yehudoi in the Bria. By studying that technology and realizing that Adraba, it's all harmonious and it all reflects the incredible harmony of the Rabbani Islam in the Bria. Therefore, we see that the goal through 70 nations gives the Jews the opportunity of taking away the Koyach and using the uniqueness of each nation to Megal Yehudoi. That is the sum total of the combat Tachasura, which is the whole Tachas of the Mashiach bin Yosef. So therefore we see two principles of history. The first principle is Anhogas Hai Mishpot, which means history reflects itself in terms of the amount of Hester and Yichud and Ubriya, which reflects itself, of course, the, the Chatoim of the Mitzvahs of Jews. And the second thing it reflects itself is that history now does to the Jews, is puts them under the Ra, to make sure that they will suffer and also take away the uniqueness of each nation. That's the tikkunim of the Mishikhan. Therefore, it comes out that the Mishikhan's tikkunim is really the entire thing that's going on in 2,000 years of history. That the second principle of history is really Anogas HaYichud, which is the entire tafkidim of the Mishikhan. Tikkunim. That is to be under the Sitra Achwa through Yisurim and main Sitkis. And the second thing, of course, is to be mespash tikidusha. So therefore, the first is ben, ben Yosef, Mashiach Ben Yosef, and the second, of course, is Mashiach Ben Dovid.